Cool. So Ashley, first and foremost, it's a pleasure to get you on. I've certainly followed um, your journey from when you're on X Factor with Raksu. Um, for those who listen to this podcast, always know that I tend to start at the same place, which is childhood. It almost helps us paint a picture for the person that you've become. So I guess my first question to you is, what were you like growing up? What was I like growing up? Um, energetic, uh, sociable, outgoing, a little bit naughty, probably on the cheekier side. Um, enjoy going to school though, but quite a, a big, a big person, a big personality. Um, yeah, quite loud and always trying to be somewhere doing something. Amazing. What was childhood like for you? Quite. Um, in terms of like the background, was it quite a privileged background? Did you come from a place of struggle? Um, yeah, a bit of a mix of both, to be honest. Um, I think mum had a um, difficult first few years as she had me very early on to her journey when she first got to England. So um, for a good few years of my life, I was actually in foster care um, and she was having to try and study as a nurse find a way to look after me, pay for that, and then obviously work at the same time. But then in the latter years, she ended up starting up her own company um, and that did really, really well. And so from then on, things became like a lot more comfortable. So for me, it's kind of like, it was split in half um, between, yeah, um, there being a struggle and my mom having to try and be superwoman to then actually things getting a lot easier. Amazing. In terms of um, school then, um, a lot of guests who I speak to have made it were almost a little bit rebellious at school, um, not conforming to the norm, this sort of stuff. What were you like at school? Um, I think I was probably a non-conformist up until the point where I thought it would get me in a lot of trouble. Um, I think I remember being younger using a phrase semi-legal <laughs> which was me kind of identifying that I felt like in life there were certain rules that you couldn't break because if you did the consequences would be really really dire but then there was a lot of stuff which you were told that you weren't supposed to do but actually if you did it things would probably be okay anyway um so that was me I suppose always trying to live in that kind of gray area where I could do what I want without actually really upsetting people too much um but otherwise yeah, I was like in top sets for most things. I enjoyed learning and being there. Um, but then I would occasionally have a fight in the playground. I wouldn't do homework or I'd talk back to each other. And so I'd be in trouble. But I always found like when I was being like suspended or given isolations or whatnot, it was almost like begrudgingly from the teachers because we actually had a good relationship. But it felt more of a, Ashley, I love you, but you can't do this. So therefore I have to punish you. So yeah. Nice. When did you um first discover your your passion for music then? Because we'll talk about your group Raksu in a minute. But where what was the journey almost leading up to Raksu before that? Um I think from quite young in primary school, I enjoyed writing poetry. Um we had a substitute teacher in year six who enjoyed music and he got me and three of my friends to write a song. Um, 
And so that was the first time I actually recorded anything. Secondary school, quite young. I remember getting 50 cents, get rich or die trying and listening to that on repeat and writing raps like to go along with it. Um, and then from like year nine, started recording music. And then 10, 11, 12 was like recording videos, putting them up on YouTube, started to do like uh, pirate radio sets. Um, so I do like little performances locally, university, carried that on, was releasing music. So yeah, for me, it's just always been a constant in in my life, to be honest with you, in one form or other. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's just always been that. I, I did stagecoach for a couple of years as well, um, which is obviously like performance stuff too. So yeah, I've just always been, music has always been there. How did you find Stagecoach? Because this is something a lot of people don't know. I um I used to go to Stagecoach when I was younger. Never <laughs> made it. Never never made anything out of it. But it was a great laugh. Yeah, I mean, I liked it, but it got to a point of in year seven there was football games obviously on a Saturday for school, and Stagecoach on a Saturday afternoon. So if the football games were early enough, it was okay because I could go to football and then go to Stagecoach. But then I think I remember, I can't remember if it was year seven or year eight, I was like quite good at basketball as well. And so I got invited to go to county trials for basketball and to play for a team called West Hearts Warriors and their training was on a Saturday afternoon. So I was like, as much as I like stagecoach, I was never going to pick it over football or basketball. <laughs> so that became the end of it. But I had a good laugh while I was there. The big question is then, what football team do you support? Manchester United, so yeah, difficult times right now. But so this weekend, enough. when so, so this weekend when my glory team Manchester City take on you lot and probably Haaland scores a few good goals, I can yeah. drop you a message to to rub it in your face. Do you know what? There'll be nothing to rub in because I'm expecting us to lose three nil or four one. So it's like. I'm, I'm not actually going to be upset right now. We're not competitive, so I can't be. I can't allow myself to get too bothered by losing the game. I expect us to lose. Yeah, definitely. I'll agree with you on that one. Um, <laughs> so in 2016, I believe 2016, you and your um, co-founders um, formed Global Pop Band, which went on to achieve um, incredible success. Raksu. How did this actually come about? These were your childhood friends, weren't they? Yeah, so we were like, went to school with each other um, and we've been making music with each other all throughout anyway. So it actually just became a thing where, it was before 2016, to be honest with you, um, where because we were spending so much time around each other, just as friends, spending time with each other in the studio, when any of us was having a gig, but others would be there anyway. So it just got to a point where I was like, we might as well just give this thing a name and and do it together really definitely and then in 2017 I, I maybe before you applied to go on the x factor whose decision was that what what was what made that decision uh so we got scouted for it we were like performing somewhere in london okay. at the time because we were doing loads of open mics like just performing everywhere that we could and so someone approached us afterwards and was like, do you want to come on the show um, or come and audition for it anyway? And initially we were a bit like, nah, because none of us really watched it. 
Um, none of us were really pop music fans. We didn't really know too much about it. So we were a little bit against it. But then when you take a step back, it's like to have one minute of our songs played on ITV Saturday night, 8 p.m. Like is such a ridiculous amount of money that we didn't want to look the gift horse in the mouth. So in the end, we were just like, look, let's just go and do it. And as long as we can perform our own stuff, then it's a win-win regardless of whether we get through the first audition or not. And thankfully, we had that conversation with the X Factor team. Um, they obliged and they let us do our own stuff, obviously, all the way through. Um, so every week was basically just a process of if we get one more chance to show the country, like our music, then we're just winning and winning. So that was very much our focus. It was just to take it week by week, try and build a fan base and then see what happens afterwards. And yeah, fortunately that process just took us all the way to the end and took us to winning it. Definitely. On your first audition, um, Simon, I believe it was Simon, he stopped you, didn't he? Um, halfway through your first song. Um, what was the feeling when he, he did that? Um, shock more than anything, because we were just, because we didn't really care too much about trying to win it. We were just very relaxed. We'd had a really good day up in Manchester, met a lot of cool people. So I guess we were quite confident and yeah, just there to have fun and enjoy ourselves. So when he kind of stopped us, we're like, yo, like, we're in our bag right now. Like, this is good. <laughs> it was like, why are you stopping us? But then interestingly, when I spoke to him afterwards, he said that he stopped it because if he just put us straight through, like, um, there wouldn't have been enough jeopardy to justify giving us the amount of time that we got on TV. So, yeah, he knew what he was doing. He was making it good for TV and good for the edit. So I can't begrudge him of that. It worked out in our favour. That that was going to be my next question because I, I did watch that today to, to do the research and I thought that they're good enough. I think he stopped it to give them another really, really good song in order to, to justify it. So a little bit of it was um, a bit fixed then, I guess you'd say. Um, I, I think... I think fixed is the wrong word. Um, he was trying to engineer enough footage to be able to give us more time on TV. Does that make sense? So when people say that things like that are fixed, like things like the show are fixed, yeah. they're not because the audience votes, right? And the audience is going to vote for whoever they choose to vote for. Like that's completely out of their control. But obviously... It's like us having this podcast, right? If you only ask me one question, then you're only going to get one answer from me. If you can create a scenario whereby you ask me three questions, well, then I can give you three answers. And then it's up to the listeners to decide how they feel about those three answers, but at least you've given me the opportunity to give them something to judge. Definitely. Um, I did watch the episode today, the audition. Am I right in thinking you had a little thing for, for Nicole Scherzinger? It, it looked like a little spot. It was good television. <laughs> yeah, and even from our side, like we kind of knew that it would be useful. Now, obviously, don't get it twisted. Like Nicole Scherzinger, obviously, she's an absolute rocket, right? Like she's phenomenally beautiful. Like she's amazing. But yeah, we again we knew that acting like that and putting that narrative in there is obviously going to help us get to where we're ultimately trying to get to. 
Definitely. So you get through, and then um, I believe is it is there's six chairs after that, or is there another process after that? The live um, audition. Yeah, there's boot camp, there's live audition, and then there's the six chairs. Cool. So after you get through, what happens after that? What? How long do you have to wait? Um, how do they let you know? What was the next stages? I actually cannot remember how they let us know. I think they tell. I think they tell you on the day. To be fair, I think they tell you on the day, and then it's like two to three months later, you go back for boot camp, and then that's like a whole week that you're there, and that culminates with the six chair challenge at the end of it, basically. Um, so everybody is staying there down in London for like a four day period or until you get sent home, um, and then you end up having six chair challenge. Amazing. I did forget to ask this. I, I did want to ask this. This was asked quite a lot um, once people realised that you were coming on. What actually happens on, on audition day? Because all we see is like maybe two to three minutes, but I, yeah. I'm sure it's a whole day for, for Oh, it's guys. like the longest day. I think our call time on audition day was about 8am at Old Trafford Cricket Ground in Manchester. And we probably actually auditioned at about 2am in the morning. So it is a very, very, very long day of you getting there, doing the registration, filming multiple bits throughout the day so they obviously can use them for the episode. Um, so you, like, you do little bits of interview, they'll get like bits of you just walking around, having a laugh, chilling out, they'll get you reacting to other people as well. And then you're just waiting for a very, 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 very long time. Like it's a long day. But I think we come to learn that is TV. Like, you'll do, like, I don't know, even if you're doing a music video, right? Like, you'll spend the whole day filming the music video, and the music video will be two and a half minutes. <laughs> so that is, that's just the nature of things, I suppose. Of course. And then you, you obviously, you get through from the six um, chair challenge. Obviously, I imagine you're ecstatic, both, all of you. Um, when did you find out that it was going to be Simon who was, whose house you were going to? <laughs> um, I cannot remember. I can't, I can't remember. When, ah, uh, I think we were, uh, we were all in the room. I'm sure it was actually on TV. I think they filmed it. I think we were all in the room, all of the groups in one place. And then somebody got given that envelope. And they opened the envelope and it was like Simon's a judge, like, ah, type thing. Was it Simon you wanted or a little bit of Nicole Scherzinger? Ah, <laughs> uh, bro, honestly, I, I didn't care. Like, not in the slightest. None of us did. Like, we weren't, I, I think our mentality towards the whole thing's a bit different. Like, I think a lot of people go into that show and it's like, they're looking to become stars or to have like their lives change overnight or to have like, I don't know, some dream become manifested. But we weren't like that. By the time we went on to there, we've already released two EPs. Like we've already been making music for ages. We've spent thousands and thousands of pounds on it. Like we've dragged our asses all over the place to try and gig and to try and make this stuff happen. So a lot of the, which I know is like really boring answers and it's not going to be kind of like what um, I guess people want or what people are expecting. But like a lot of the surface level TV stuff, we really didn't care about. 
like we're kind of looking at it as okay great this is another opportunity to perform in front of people again and give ourselves a chance of living the life that we want so all of the other stuff like actually just it, it we just really didn't care <laughs> it was completely irrelevant the only thing that mattered was people getting to hear us perform again Definitely. So you get to Simon's house then. What's the process from there up until like the recordings or the live shows that go out on, on TV? Because I, again, we will see seconds, minutes, but I'm sure it's a whole day, whole process being at his house. Yeah. So for starters, it's not actually his house. It's just like just a rented villa, like for us in France. Um, and we're there for there for oh. two days. So first day is like rehearsals, sorting out what you're gonna do, and then doing loads of filming for the TV program. And then the second day is actually in the afternoon doing the performances. Um, and then ultimately going home later on that day as well. So, so yeah, it's there for two days, there for two days. So we do like a welcome meal, do some rehearsals, one performance, and then the next day, wake up, go back there, and then do a second performance, get the results, and then go home. So we told you you were going through to the live shows. I presume, were you, be honest, were you sort of expecting that, or did that come as a shock? Um, Probably neither of those emotions. It was just happy, like it was relief. Yeah, it was more it was more relief than anything. There wasn't an expectation we were gonna go through like I'm looking at it and I'm thinking there's a lot of good people here. Like we might not go through. Um but then at the same time I did obviously believe in us so when we went through I wasn't shocked either. It was more just a relief and just a happiness that like again, we got another week. Um we've got another week, another opportunity to perform. We're like one step closer to not even we're one step closer to anything because by that point in time we're ready to pass our our wildest ambitions anyway. But it's just another opportunity to connect to more people. When when he said that you're going through, was there anything at this stage where you or your team thought maybe we could win the X Factor here? Nah, the first the first time I thought about winning was on day two of the final um yeah that was the very first time i actually thought about winning and the moment i thought about winning i ended up messing up some choreography (laughs) so um yeah that was that was the first time up until that point because winning winning was neither here nor there do you know what i mean it was a case of how how many people can we make fall in love with our music or we won or not again it, it wasn't it wasn't part of the goal or the focus um it wasn't the most pure way possible just us trying to take the opportunity to be able to become full-time musicians definitely and then you you obviously had five live shows before the final including quarterfinals and the semi-finals being honest you coasted through everyone you i think you came first on like most of them you came second on on a few um that must have been that must have changed Raksu, right? You must have like seen your social channels grow. You must have seen people listen to your music more and more. Was there a point where you thought this is life changing now? Was there a show where you thought that? 
nah, not until we won. Not until we won. Everything, it was very much remain focused because we had to write a new song every week. Obviously, you've got to learn new choreography every week. We're like filming Q&A videos in the house and then I've got to edit those and upload them onto YouTube and then interact with the new fans that are coming on board as well to actually make sure that we're having a chance to do what we're doing. Plus, we're obviously young guys who have just suddenly got all this attention. There's a lot of women <laughs> that we're talking to at that moment in time. So everything was just about staying present in the moment, to be honest, and really just trying to capitalise on what was going on because it could change at any point in time. And then that's it. You don't you don't get to relive things twice. So it was, it was the goal was and the challenge was to just stay really present in anything that was happening because every single one of those moments was like an amazing blessing and is something that, you know, most people will never get to experience and we fortunately did. So thankfully we didn't ruin it by trying to look too far into the future because I think sometimes that's actually where you can, you can mess up, which like I said, I did in the final. The moment I started thinking about winning it, I started making mistakes. Definitely. Um, I am curious, though, because there's not a lot about this online. There's a few articles, but what's the X Factor of the house actually like? Is it is it like a bit of a party pad? Are everyone very serious? What what goes on there? You've got such a mix, right? You've got some people who are like, God, like Rael was in there, for example, and I think she was like 16 at the time, so she's like a child you got Sean and Connor Price who are there. And I think Sean was 15. Um, Connor was 15. Sean was 17. But then you've also got Kevin Davey-White, who's in his mid-30s. You've got us who are in our mid-20s. And some people are just there and like it's, it seems like it's a bit of fun and they're just caught up in the whirlwind. Um, and then for us, we were actually really business-like. So we didn't actually get involved too much of like too much of like the fun stuff that was going on in the house. Because we're like, yo, we're here for a reason like we've had to quit our jobs to come here and stay in this house like we're not getting paid to be in this house if we get sent home after three weeks like we don't get any money for that and then I don't know can we go back to our jobs yes hopefully if not I don't know so yeah we were very um we were quite serious and just like focused and it was definitely eyes on the prize and just yeah we gotta make this happen how did you afford to live during the X Factor phase? Did they pay for everything, or did you have yeah, to? Yeah, while you're save while you're in how did while work? you're in there, they look after everything. Um, but obviously, you're just not earning anything. So the risk is, yeah, if you come out after four weeks, then like, what what happens then? Because obviously, inevitably, you probably you haven't been at work for two months. So <laughs> what happens then? So definitely, and then the the moment happens. Um, Dermot O'Leary Leary, announces the winner of the X Factor, Raksu. Bit of a almost dumb question because it's an obvious answer, but what was going through your head when he announced that? Uh, just joy, to be honest. Yeah, I was just excited, man. I was gassed. I was like, yeah, I was just happy. Also, like a bit of relief that it was over. It'd been, it felt like a long few months as well. So, yeah, yeah, man, I'm just there with my brothers on stage, and everyone's just so happy that it was just a really, really happy moment. There's not really much going through my mind at that point in time, other than just like happiness. Like, yeah, 
just so much happiness looking around that everybody's happy i feel happy mum's there brother's there sister's there friends there like everyone's family's there everyone's just happy 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 so yeah that's yeah it was just elation at that moment did you know that your life might change from here <laughs> have you ever had one of those moments Liam, where like you just sat back and just go that is it my life has changed <laughs> um i'm not sure i've had a lot of moments where it might have changed but i don't think about it that's that what massive i've not had a moment like x factor but i think that's kind of what i'm alluding to i just don't know if you ever actually go like Hollywood style. Wow, this is it. My life is changed. <laughs> you know, because because obviously it's been a gradual process, right? Like we've gone from when we did when we did the first audition during boot camp in the arena, which is six months beforehand. We performed in front of four thousand people and everyone's screaming. And then we've gone outside for the first time and everyone started asking us for pictures and stuff. And that's the first time that's ever happened. But that's six months beforehand. So in between that point and us winning the show, there's all these other firsts that have been happening. So like the first time someone's been in the press for something wrong has happened. The first time someone's been in the press for something good has happened. The first time we've got free clothes has happened. The first time a moment's gone viral has happened. The first time loads of hot girls from random places have started reaching out has happened. The first time you're getting trolled online on the internet has happened. So like, it's not a singular moment and point thing. It's actually like at various points along the journey, all of this stuff is kind of happening. Um, so at least in my head anyway, that's just, that's the way that, but I see it personally. How did you deal with the, the fame side of things, the photos, the, the, um, the trolling, the hot girls coming after you? How, how did you manage that? Um, I think as soon as it was kind of over, I went back to playing. I went back to playing for my local non-league football side. Um, me and Jamal both played basketball for like a team locally as well. So we just spent a lot of time with like the people that actually have known us for forever and still look to us as who we were. Um, so we never really got too caught up in in anything. Like it kept us quite grounded. Like still going to the same gym still seeing the same faces like do you know what I mean um it just really helped to keep us level and see all of those extras as nice additions but not they like not things that would define us yeah definitely there was never a moment where you 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 went off the rails because anyone who achieves success when they're younger may fall into the trap of going after the hot girls, going after the parties, the the drugs, that sort of stuff. There was never a point where that happened with you, though. No, I think obviously everyone's got their own stories um, and their own experiences. But for me, I only got drunk for the first time in 2017. So for me to like get drunk once in a month is a lot. So <laughs> my version of going off the wagon is like probably yeah. eating too much chocolate. Um, <laughs> so yeah now nah, for me I was I was pretty level obviously emotionally you have your ups and you have your downs um, and you get excited and you get sad and blah 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 but yeah there was never any 
yeah, there was never anything that went to left. And also, by that point in time, we're 26 years old. So I think if you're a 17 or 18-year-old who's going through that process, you're probably much more likely to be more volatile because you're still figuring out who you are, right? Like, you're still developing as a person. Like, you're not necessarily a fully-fledged adult yet. But by the time that happened, in my case, I have, through three years of university, come out into the working world and worked for five years. Like, I'm... I'm, I'm a man for all intents and purposes. So not to say that I've got everything figured out and that I don't have weaknesses and I don't have flaws, but they're not going to be exasperated so much by extra attention. Definitely. So X Factor finishes. What happens after that? Do you just go back to your life? Do you get working straight away with the record deal? What What's the process after that? Yeah, start doing, start doing radio, get in the studio, start making stuff. You start gigging um, loads and loads of time in the studio, start getting some dance lessons, um, and you just you just become an artist trying to make it, to be honest with you. Yeah. In 2018, this is something I wanted to ask you about. There's, there's little on this, or I found little on it. But in 2018, you and Little Mix as well announced that you were splitting from Psycho Records due to modest management. Whose decision was this? What was the reason behind this? Um, management and the record label had a falling out over something to do with Little Mix. Um, so they decided that they were going to part ways and they weren't going to work with each other anymore. So that led to Little Mix leaving the label and we were just caught in the middle, basically. Um, and it was like, okay, well, we have to either stay with a label and find new management or stay with management and find a new label. Um, and then there was a lot of conversations, a lot of differing opinions, um, some voting done, etc., etc. But um, a decision was made to to stay with management. And so, yeah, we ended up leaving. So a bit of an unfortunate situation for us because it had nothing to do with us. Um, we just, yeah, we're like a innocent casualty in that sense. But it happens. Like, yeah, life happens. Shit happens. Yeah, definitely. And then on 29th of August, I can't remember which year, it was reported that you were dropped from RCA due to lack of mainstream success. Was Is that the true story? What what was the feeling behind this? Um, no, so the headline was annoying, to be honest, because um, it wasn't completely, <laughs> it wasn't completely accurate. But all, all I can do is speak from my personal vantage point. Um, I didn't think that us going to RCA was going to be the right thing to do. And knowing what the X Factor contracts were like for me personally, at any opportunity, I felt like if we had the chance to get out of it, we should take it straight away. So us leaving RCA wasn't so much as us getting dropped. It was more like if they weren't 100% committed to us, which they weren't because they only got us because of everything that happened beforehand. So lovely team of people at RCA, like everyone that we met is absolutely amazing, but none of them came out and scouted us and actually cared about it. None of them, no one's career there was going to be linked to our success because we were their act. It was just like, okay, we're just being passed over as part of this little mix fiasco. Do you know what I mean? So there was never going to be that connection to us, which is natural with human nature. It doesn't upset me. It is what it is. So upon them feeling in that way, 
from my perspective, I'm like, yo, okay, well, let's just part ways. Do you know what I mean? You're not going to be upset about it. We're not going to be upset about it. Everyone's going to be happy. Um, obviously, the press kind of saw it differently and whatnot, but but yeah, I don't think anybody was really upset at the outcome in actual fact. So yeah. One thing I'm curious about because I've I've spoken to a few musicians, producers, people in the industry, and I've realised how there how there can be little money within within the music industry from your experience from Raksu is this the case or I presume you've done quite well because looking in from the outside it looks like you should be like millionaires right but what's the the truth behind this um definitely not millionaires (laughs) um but definitely (laughs) so um everything is all relative at the end of the day but they call it your 15 minutes of fame for a reason, right? It's like, unless you are a generational talent, like an Ed Sheeran or a Dua Lipa or a Skepta, it's like, the chances are you might not actually be around for that long. So the challenge is when you do have your your sunny days, what can you do with the money that you make? How do you invest that? How do you look after that? What do you spend it on? What do you prioritise? And if you get that right, then hopefully, even when you fall out of the limelight, you'll be okay and you would have created a sustainable life for yourself, which would allow you to stay creative going forwards. But sadly, all too often, we see artists in this situation whereby they have some success, they make some money and they kind of squander it. Because when you're in the middle of the success, you don't think it's about to end. (laughs) You kind of just think it's going to happen forever. And if you're earning, I don't know, £10,000 a month, you think you're going to be making £10,000 a month for the foreseeable future and for the next five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine years. All you think is going to increase because you think it's going to go up and up and up and up. No one ever has their most successful moment and thinks, oh, yeah, that's it. It's downhill from here. So sometimes you can get caught up in that. Um, And obviously public perception is very different to what the reality is as well. Because even if you have a song and it does really well, or if it's got three producers on it, they're obviously going to eat from that. If there's three other songwriters on it, well, then you've got to split that money too. But if there's a record label involved, well, then they might take 80% of that before you see anything after recruitment. When you've got to pay for the music video, you've got to pay for the styling, you've got to pay this. There's a lot of moving parts. So, yeah, I think for a lot of people in the industry, like, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors. And, yeah, there's, they're not walking around as multimillionaires, unfortunately. When you first started making money you sound like you're very very wise but when you st- first started making money was there anyone around you to to advise you of what what you should be doing with it because a lot of people when they first get money that they will go and blow it won't they now, let's be real they'll they'll spend it or they'll, they'll do something stupid with it what was what was your first experiences like Bro, I'm like really boring, man. Like if I can make music and I can go to the gym and play some sport, like I'm good. The only thing I really cared about is I had like a toy car when I was younger. I had like a toy Mercedes convertible when I was a little kid. And so I really wanted to get that. And so I bought that car. Um, But it wasn't even that expensive to be honest. Obviously it's all relative, but it's not like a Maybach or a Rolls Royce or a Bentley or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It was within... Like, it was comfortably within my means. Um, I don't really wear expensive jewellery. I feel like 
I like dressing, I like trying to dress well, but I don't need designer labels dripping off me for that to be the case. So for me, I was okay, to be honest. And I know like even Jamal is like built in a quite a similar way to me where we're not necessarily very flashy, man. Like we can just chill out with our mates, play some sport and make some music, we're good. So yeah, financially we were all right. <laughs> Amazing. So for those who don't know, you've now gone into boxing you you've got a fight coming up against anthony taylor on the 15th of october in sheffield yes i think the big question is tough sport why boxing um during lockdown as i said like i i just love playing sport physically i think it's really good for me and then mentally as well i think it's, it's critical to like kind of keep me balanced and so i struggled a little bit when lockdown hit and there was no organized sport to play and a friend of mine actually owned a boxing gym. So it became like the only place we could actually go to um, during those times. So I was like, okay, great. Like, gonna go there, kind of fell in love with it, had always wanted to try it. And so I was like, cool, I'm gonna do this, do a white qualifier, did that. And then the opportunity came to fight on Wicked and Bad, which is Bouncer's platform. Um, and Bouncer is like, He's just a legend, to be honest with you, of the UK urban scene and what he's managed to build there is just absolutely amazing. So when I got the chance to be part of that, I was like, yeah, cool, I'll do that. And I fought against a rapper called Big Tobes um, and I managed to win that. And I've obviously just seen the wave of the whole crossover boxing movement is developing. And so I was like, look, actually, if there's an opportunity for me to get involved in Misfits, which is obviously KSI's brand, um, then I'd, I'd love to do so. And so I was like, yeah, like, I'm just going to jump in and see see what I can do. So here we are. How how tough is boxing? Because recently we've seen, I wouldn't want to call it a bit of a joke, but we've seen like Jake Paul, Logan Paul all come into the scene, almost walking in with no experience before the Mayweather fight, I think. How tough actually is it? Why do you think they can just walk in? Um, because with Jake and Logan, I think they were actually really high-level athletes when they were growing up. So I think they were actually like um, wrestled for their state or something like that. Like they actually were good combat athletes beforehand and actually kept themselves in very good shape. And so if you have the basic principles of combat, obviously they're transferable to other things. Um I mean, if you just look after yourself and you stay in the gym and you stay healthy in the way that they do, then you will be able to pick things up and learn them. Um, if you're KSI, for example, and you're that wealthy, well, then you can afford to have top nutrition, top training at top facilities for a three, four, five month period and actually get yourself to a point where you are capable of performing. Do you know what I mean? So um, it's it's incredibly hard and your average person probably won't try it because when you're getting into that ring and there's no head guards and there's 10 ounce gloves and obviously there's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to hide, right? It's just you and the other person and there's a real risk of getting knocked unconscious or or worse, unfortunately, in some cases. So, yeah, it's, it's I think all of the combat sports are definitely the hardest sports to do. Definitely. So going into your fight then, I presume you're training very hard. What does your training, what's your training schedule actually look like at the moment? Um, so it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm in the boxing gym. 
Um, so I'll be in there for a couple of hours, just learning more about actually how to box and focusing on like footwork and game plan and different strategies and ways of obviously fighting because I'm obviously still a bit of a novice. So I've got a lot of learning to do. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I'll be in like normal gym doing my strength and conditioning. Um, so I'll be like lifting weights, running, etc., etc. Just making sure I'm fit and strong enough to fight. And then Sunday recovery day. So I basically sit on the couch all day and eat as much food as possible. Maybe have a little stretch. So yeah, that is what my weeks look like at the moment. Strict, um, strict diet. Any particular diets you're following, or just sort of clean? Yeah, just clean. I'm like addicted to chocolate and cookies and stuff. So just not eating those um, has been has been my challenge. And otherwise, I'm not fighting at a weight which is too far away from what I normally walk around at. So yeah, I don't have to worry too much with that. Yeah, definitely. I'm 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 very addicted to um to chocolate. Especially at the moment because <laughs> I've got a new partner. So apparently when you get a new partner, it's like it's the thing you do early on. You just eat apparently. chocolate together. Listen, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a wonderful <laughs> um, invention. <laughs> final final question then. So your fight's coming up on the 15th of October. I don't know if there's any tickets left for it, but where can people watch this fight? So you can watch it on the zone, um, which is an online app that shows like all of the box and stuff. So um, even if I think KSI is fighting against in, again in January, um, if you want to watch this fight or any other fights going forward, you just sign up for the zone. Otherwise, in my bio on Instagram, there's also a ticket link as well. So if anybody's up north or near Sheffield and wants to come and see it, then you can come along. And I know it'll be a great night. Obviously, there's so many cool people on the card and so many cool fights it's going to be one heck of a spectacle amazing well ashley it's been a privilege to get you on the podcast today and i wish you all the best on saturday or sunday for the manchester derby i <laughs> uh, i hope man city win but I'll, I'll give you a bit of luck <laughs> i mean mate we're gonna need not a lot more than luck we're probably gonna need Ireland himself so yeah cheers though no, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time today. All right, man. Take care.